So we'll, we will brief, briefly introduce you to the book of Ephesians today. Some of you are great history and geography buffs, so I want to begin with taking a look at the city of Ephesus. The Ephesians lived in Ephesus. The letter was written to the Ephesians. They lived in the city of Ephesus. Is our map on the screen? So you notice Ephesus circled in red. It's in the province of Asia. It's situated on the coast of the Aegean Sea, which is an extension or an arm of the Mediterranean Sea. It's directly east of Athens across the sea and Corinth. You're familiar with those names from Acts. And although it's in Asia Minor, it was actually founded, originally founded and inhabited by Greeks. On this map, it's listed among the seven churches mentioned in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. It was a premier New Testament city and church, actually addressed first among the big seven in Revelation 2. It's reported that the Apostle John wrote his gospel from Ephesus. It seems that Timothy was the pastor there. And many New Testament personalities passed through or resided for a time in the city of Ephesus. In our 12-year study through the book of, of Acts, we read much about Ephesus. A lot happened there. Paul and his companions labored there extensively. So you'll notice as we go through our study in Ephesians, we'll be referencing the book of Acts often and possibly, probably, the letter in Revelation that's addressed to the church in Ephesus. Where is present-day Ephesus? It isn't. There isn't one to speak of. Its location would be in modern Southwest Turkey. However, through war, through earthquakes, through historical and natural decline over time, for instance, the harbor that was, that was situated there was silted shut, and Ephesus lost its commercial importance. Ephesus' significance today lies in its archaeological value, ruins and sites. Present-day Ephesus, or where Ephesus would have been in Paul's day, is now buried under swamp and marsh. Very interesting, and I shouldn't get ahead of myself, but there was a strict warning that Jesus gave the church in Ephesus. Return to your first love, because if you lose your first love, it's going to bring about your demise. And that's exactly what happened. Ephesians 1, 1. That's all we'll cover today. It's another 12 years, Steve, I think. think. Ephesians 1, 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Now, there's always some discussion on the following information. So what I'm going to give us today is the predominant thinking on the matter or on the issues. Who was the author? 90% believe that it was the the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians. I'm convinced of that. I'm satisfied with that. The date the book was written, around 62, 63 A.D. 
It's written most likely from Rome during that two-year residence while Paul waited trial. Remember Acts 28, 30 and 31, the last, the last sermon? For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. And like Deb, many of us had an aha moment. Hey, we thought Paul was martyred by the end of the book. No, Paul lived on. After two years there, he was acquitted and released and continued his missionary endeavors. Some believe he got as far west as Spain. You know, they were trying to get to the ends of the then known earth because Jesus told them to. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. He was rearrested on some charge, brought back to Rome, and then history has it he was beheaded in 67, by the, 67 AD by the uh, Emperor Nero. But for two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense, and he had great freedom during this time to write and to receive guests. He often wrote what we now know as the epistles, one of them being Ephesians, and then he sent those letters out to the churches with those who were able to come and visit him. Who was the audience? Who was the recipient of the book or the letter of Ephesians? This is interesting. It's interesting to me at least. The primary intended original audience, the recipients, was the congregation of believers in Ephesus. However, it was so much more than that. This next slide will give us some further information on Ephesus pertinent to what I'm talking about. Ephesus, the city, in the days of the Apostle Paul, a population around 200,000, some believe as large as 300,000. It was a rather large city with a great metropolitan area. There is evidence that up to 230 outlying communities were in the greater, existed in the greater Ephesus metropolitan area with very significant connections to the city. It was a population center for that day. And Ephesus at this time, Paul's day, was the capital of Asia Minor. Is the capital city. So although the letter was originally intended and it was sent to the Ephesian congregation, it also was intended that it would be circulated throughout the entire region. There were many Christian congregations throughout the region of the greater Ephesus metropolitan area. A look at the history of Christianity in Ephesus seems to begin in Acts chapter 18. Paul set sail for Syria taking Priscilla and Aquila with him, they stopped first at the port of Ephesus, where Paul left the others behind. While he was there, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. They asked him to stay on longer, but he declined. So what's actually going on here? The onset of Christianity in Ephesus seems to have begun here around 50 AD. The apostle Paul, Priscilla and Aquila, we studied them extensively. They arrived in Ephesus. They were coming from Corinth, Greece, across the Aegean, the Aegean Sea. Or at least Paul came that way. I think they came down, down the inland route. Priscilla and Aquila remained in Ephesus for a while. Paul left them there to begin the work. Paul, however, at this time continued to Antioch, Syria. That was his home church. That was his home congregation. He went back there to report to them on his missionary journeys thus far. Antioch Church in Syria, remember, 
is the congregation that originally sent Paul out for mission work. Acts 13.1, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. So he was on his way back to share. Just like we bring missionaries in, we had the caches in a few weeks ago in April, and they shared with us their journey. Paul was going back to his home church to tell them what God had been doing through he and his companions out in the mission field. But he left, he left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus to begin a Christian work. When Paul departed for Syria, he promised the Ephesians he would come back. I will come back. And he did. In the next chapter of Acts, chapter 19, Paul traveled through the, through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast. Making a long story short, because you'll remember, a lot happened on the way back to Ephesus from Syria. Suffice it to say here, Paul did make his way back. He kept his promise. He's back in Ephesus. And once Paul got back to Ephesus, as is so typical with Paul's life, a lot of things began to happen. Acts 19.11, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. Remember this story? It's, it's, it's so remarkable. It, it seems so, like, otherworldly to us in the church today. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. All kinds of crazy stuff was happening in the ministry at Ephesus. We don't need to discuss it here again. We covered it during our 12-year series through Acts. The story spread quickly all through Ephesus. Many who became believers and had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. The message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Yep, Paul is back in Ephesus and crazy things are happening and God is breaking out all over the place. Many are becoming believers. Until this time, around 52 AD, the Ephesus area, and actually all of Asia Minor, really, was steeped in darkness and in occult. Satan reigned there. Satan had his way there. If you remember the seven letters to the churches in Revelation, one of them even mentions, I know you live where Satan has his throne. That's that modern-day Turkey area, Asia Minor in Acts. Satan had the people. And in comes God through Priscilla and Aquila and Paul and then many others that we read about. And he begins attacking and he begins breaking down Satan's kingdom. And even more importantly, he begins setting the captives free from that bondage, from that darkness. Asia Minor was steeped in the occult. Exorcism, sorcery were common practice. Remember the sons of Sceva? They thought they could cast out demons in Jesus' name, but they didn't know Jesus. And they took a beating for it. The temple of Artemis was in Ephesus, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This brought in a very lucrative business for artisans and craftspeople. I'll tell you something about the occult. It's not just spiritual darkness. Money is always involved on the, fleshly, on the earthly plane and the fleshly level. Money is always involved. 
They were craftsmen, but they were idol makers. They made a lot of money on making idols. A businessman named Demetrius stirred up the other artisans and craftsmen so much that it caused riots and unrest. That was the title of one of our sermons in, in Acts. Riots and unrest in Ephesus. But the city began to embrace Christianity. They were no longer buying the idols. In fact, they were burning them to the tune of millions of present-day dollars. Paul had quite a ministry in Ephesus, both fruitful and challenging, which many of you mentioned. We covered all that in our series two acts. He stayed there. He preached and he taught for three years. The ministry was so fruitful. This is the part I want to get to as we close. His ministry was so fruitful, it evangelized, it reached to the whole region, not just the city of Ephesus. That's what I want to focus on, that last phrase. It spread widely and had a powerful effect. The message about the Lord is spreading widely in that area. It's having a powerful effect. Remember the 230 outlying communities? Well, as folks came into the capital, they came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They became converted under the powerful ministry happening in Ephesus, in Ephesus proper. They returned to their communities, and they preached, and they evangelized there, which is just a theological way of saying they went home from Ephesus and told other people about Jesus, which is what we're supposed to be doing. It's so simple. Tell people about Jesus when they accept the message, baptize them, then get them in discipleship and teach them all about him. That's what it is in a nutshell. We complicate this thing. So the people were coming to Ephesus. They were coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the power of the ministry, going back to the outlying communities and evangelizing their communities. Revival was breaking out in Asia Minor. Churches were planted throughout the entire region. Now, this may or may not be true, and it may or may not be an aha moment, but many scholars believe that most, if not all, seven churches in Revelation, the letters to the seven churches, they were planted, they were founded out of the church, out of the ministry in Ephesus. So we're going to close by returning to Ephesians 1.1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Can we make it relevant? When it says God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus, it's referring to the entire region of Asia Minor. It's including the seven churches of Revelation. Ephesus and all the satellite churches, the 230 communities surrounding Ephesus proper. But not only that, it's timeless. To all faithful followers of Christ Jesus then, in Asia Minor, and now, throughout the age, including us. The letter of Ephesians is for us. So let's close by making it very personal. On the board. CCF 1 One, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Columbia Christian Fellowship, Columbia, Pennsylvania, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus.
stop there for now. Today, no challenges, no ouches, no points to ponder, no principles to think about, just an informational introduction to the letter of Ephesus. Next week, we're going to give an oversimplified outline and an overarching purpose to the book of Ephesus. Will you stand with me? I'm going to give some instructions then. Jamie, if you'll come. You can go to the mic and pray. So Jamie's going to pray to close the message. And then I'm going to give some instructions as we move into the prayer for healing and and, uh, closing worship. Father God, I just want to say how much we love you. Thank you so much, Lord, for this series that you're taking us into and for what you have for us to learn and what you want to do in each of our lives. Father, I pray that we would all be willing, willing to allow you to fully indwell us and to use us for all that you want to use us for. Lord, I pray that your word would just penetrate us deeper than ever before. Because we know that it's not coincidence or just something good to do, but Lord, this is your instructions. It's your will for our lives so that you can accomplish your work here on earth through us. And what a great privilege it is. Father, can we, would you just help us to set aside ourselves and our own things that that we have to go through each and every day and uh, just the simple things like work and life and family, Lord, and always be mindful of that everything that we do is for you, Lord, and should be for you and should be accomplishing something uh, that you have for us daily. So, Lord, I ask that you would just help us to be so mindful of that each and every day that really this life is not our own, but it's yours. God, I just want to ask that you would continue to anoint our pastor as he uh, brings forth this word to us each and every week, Lord, that uh, it would be such a powerful thing, Lord. We want to commit to you, Father, once again as our Heavenly Father, as our Savior, as our coming King. And Father, we know that our eternity lies in your hands and we want to do all that we can do here on this earth until we uh, go into glory with you. Father, I ask that you wouldn't let us be distracted or anything like that, but Lord, that uh, each time we hear your word, whether it's written or spoken, God, it would just penetrate us to the deepest core. We thank you, God, for this church family 
and that we can do all this together, that we're not alone in any of this. And I thank you just that you have chosen us, your people. And that this is for those who know you. And if there's any of one here today that does not know you, Lord, that you would just uh, remove the veil from their eyes and that they would see you for who you are. Pray, God, for an anointing upon healing today, that you would do that work in us because we know you want to do it. It's not just something we do for the fun of it or any of that, but it's it's your command, and we know that you you want us to be in that disease-free zone like Justin talked about. Father, would you just anoint this building, uh, your dwelling place here. Father, would you cleanse it of anything that is not of you and that this would be known as a house of healing. I just want to thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.